The follow-up is simple. Ask a question, listen to the answer, then follow up. I'm your host, Noah Kozlov. Enjoy. The follow-up today is with Brendan Sir, a longtime basketball coach, about 30 years as an NBA assistant coach, two-time NBA champion with the Detroit Pistons, the Bad Boys in 89 and 90. He's the founder of Coaching You. So, Coach, give me your single most memorable locker room experience that you had in the NBA. Wow. No, that's an incredible question because there's not one. There's so many. And uh, every team you're with, you know, you get experiences. And, you know, uh, but I have I have so many, uh, you know, and it always involves people. It has nothing to do with the coaches. I can remember... You know, uh, you know, the locker room is a sanctuary in sport, you know, especially in basketball, football. And I, and I can remember, you know, one time before our first championship, we were playing what was Golden State. And uh, they weren't a very good team, but it was our last game on a road trip uh, on the West Coast. And we went in there and got beat and, uh, by a team that was okay. And I remember going to the locker room and, you know, and you got what turns out to be, you know, four or five Hall of Fame players plus a Hall of Fame coach. And, you know, and the head coach, the great Chuck Daly, says nothing. And then Dennis Rodman gets up and he goes around 11 players on that team and he chastises every one of them for the way they performed. And he just tells them that it was unacceptable. And the thing I love about Dennis that people don't know is he's the smartest player basketball-wise that I've ever been around. But he was also one of the most genuine. We saw the crazy Dennis after he played for us with the Pistons. But what you saw was someone who had the ability to tell these Hall of Famers the great Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambier, uh, you know, all these players, the Mark Aguirre's and them, what he felt about the way they performed. That's leadership. That's courage. That's truthfulness. That's all the things that embody, you know, what leadership's supposed to be about. And, and leadership that I always say, you can only have a good team or a good company when you have internal leadership not the leadership of the of the person that's in charge it's everyone on that team and so this guy went and told every one of them that it was unacceptable and everything and went through and i mean went through each guy and went through and blistered guys and then at the end he sat down and chuck goes and i'm waiting now what is what do you say if you're chuck daly right and and as Chuck was always the master of never saying too much, he said, all right, grab a shower, bus leaves in 20 minutes, and turns and walks out to do the media. And you know what? That was so fitting. And uh, But I remember that. And now I call Dennis my ambassador to North Korea. Right. Because he's he's the only guy. He's the only guy in our freaking country. I'm telling you that can go in there that that guy trusts because that guy is an insane 
Chicago Bulls fan. And he loves Dennis. And you know what? Dennis doesn't know about politics. He knows about people. And he goes in there and he got on his level and he has been able to communicate with that guy for several years. And I'm proud of that guy for that. So though Dennis has some shortcomings and has some bad vices, what he does, he does at a really high level. And I love him for that. When he was with you guys, so I, I assume this was the 89 season that you're talking about before you won yeah. the first title? Yes. So had, had, yes. He, had he expressed this type of personality before in the locker room? Yeah, but never to that level. Oh. You know, because we had a pretty darn good team. You know, we won uh, 63 games, I think, you know. So we were pretty darn good. And when I joined the team, I joined the team like in the first week of January, and we lost two of our first three games. And then Joe Dumars broke his, uh, Joe Dumars broke his wrist the first game I ever coached him. And uh, we lose two of our first three games, and we are not doing too well. And then the next thing you know, I think we go 56 and 10 the rest of the season or some ridiculous thing, um, including the playoffs, you know, 15 and 2 in the playoffs. Uh, so it was a magical ride. So we didn't have too many bad nights. But when we did, you can bet one of those guys in the locker room, not Dennis, but it could have been Isaiah, it could have been Joe. Joe never said much. Joe was one of those guys that led by example, which is very, very powerful. He did the right thing all the time. You know, Lambeer was vocal, Mahorn was vocal, Isaiah, you know, those guys were vocal, and they they had won the respect of their peers. Uh, But it was a great locker room because they were a bunch, they loved to hear the truth not just from the coaches, but from their teammates. And that's what, that's what they wanted to be. When you want to be around, you want to be great. You want to, you profess to be the best in the world. You have to accept that from your peers. When did that change in NBA locker rooms? When did it flip to when, I don't, when a teammate I, gets on another teammate, all of a sudden it's seen as a rift. I, I don't honestly know a, a timeline on it, but I think what happened was, you know, when we when we won championships, our payroll was six point two million dollars for the year for the whole team. How about that? You know, it's kind of laughable. You know, and I think we had one player, Isaiah, making one point two million. You know, which is kind of laughable. And and these are the best players in the world. And uh, and so what happened was, I think, when the guys started to make a lot of money, when we all were on charters. When it became so big, we used to, be, when I was with the Hawks or the Pistons, the, when we would go to a city, the players would go to a movie. They would go and eat together. And I could remember my teams in Atlanta, which were phenomenal teams, as you know, uh, with Dominique and, uh, you know, Doc Rivers and, you know, uh, Tree Rollins and fantastic teams and, you know, Kevin Willis and those guys and Randy Whitman and them, and uh, great internal leadership also. Those guys would go on the road, and they would there would be Doc Rivers and Tree Rollins would say, where are we eating? And there's eight or ten of them going out to eat. That doesn't happen anymore. doesn't happen. So I think now with we didn't have technology. You know, we didn't have the small cell phones. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't text people. You had to talk to people. So when we stopped talking, I think that's when things changed. The relationships weren't there. Sure. What, what, what was it like, Coach, being 
in before charter flights, being in an airport waiting for a flight with an NBA team. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we would have to take the first flight out, and so that would be six six thirty in the morning. We'd be there. You'd be having a hot dog at six thirty in the morning for <laughs> breakfast, and and you're sitting there, and your guys are exhausted. So they're half of them are sitting in seats sleeping. They weren't the stars like they were now, of course. Um, you know, so there were not a lot. Only the big stars were getting asked for autographs. Uh, but, you know, we get on the plane, the, the rules of the league were uh, you had to, you know, pl- players had to have first class seats. Most of the most of the um, airlines back then had 12 first class seats. So your players would sit up front. Hmm. Your coaches were in the back about that. Hmm. And yeah. And, uh, you know, when, you know, and that's the way we rolled. And, you know, we only had 12 players on the team. We didn't have 15 like we do now. We only had one trainer, no equipment guy, two assistant coaches. So it was a small travel party, um, you know, that we went with. And uh, what a difference. What a difference. We all had to communicate. We were all, now there's so many people. I remember my charters with the Knicks. They had like 50 passenger plane. It was almost all filled. And, you know, when I was with the Pistons, we were the first team to have a charter. We only had 23 seats, and that's how many people got to go. That was it. What you know? year was that? So we, that was 89. We were the first team to have one. Yeah. And how, how, did, how did that decision, how did that come about? Uh, the owner, uh, the owner uh, Bill Davidson uh, and Isaiah, said that that would make a difference, and he went out and he purchased a plane. Uh, I think he purchased a plane from... Uh, my friends at Amway, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, which is now Rich DeVos, you know, before they owned the team, and uh, and so we had a we had a nice plane, and they configured it to 23 seats, and it was phenomenal, small plane, and uh, it got us everywhere, and and all of a sudden we'd be home, we'd be the most rested team in the league, and we crushed everyone. We were the only team in the league, I think, that had a winning road record. That's how big a difference it was. Yeah, what was the reaction from other players and other coaches when you guys got a charter? What were those conversations like? Uh, jealousy, of course, and then then you started to see uh, the guys start to have them, and then uh, next thing you know, everyone started to get them, and you know, then we had about six or eight planes in the league, and you know, the Cubans came in, and then you know the you know Paul Allen got one, and the Dallas Mavs got one. Cleveland got one. Then it started in the Knicks, of course, when Riley went there, they got one and it slowly started. And, uh, and, and, and at the end it became something that you had to have one or else you couldn't compete. And now you wouldn't even think of it in professional, any professional sport. But what happened is we never, we didn't interact with people. We didn't go through airports. Uh, you know, we, we went to private FBOs to, you know, get in and out. And so you never, it was wonderful from a standpoint. You could play a game. We hustled. We were out of the arena in 30 minutes. You know, if you played for Chuck, he was out of there, man. And we were at the airport and we were up. And what a difference it makes. And now, you know, all the power five college basketball teams, every one of them uses them. Mm -hmm. Of course, every football team does, you know, and it, it, it just makes performance better. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously, you know, whether you're college kids, you don't miss class. 
you know, and I remember uh, when I was at LSU, we played Texas A&M one night, and you know, and we're you know the game finishes, and uh, you know, and, and College Station is a six-hour-plus drive from Baton Rouge, and uh, you know, and and I remember getting on the plane, and we had you know a small jet, and uh, we took off, and we're home in forty-five minutes to Baton Rouge. You know what? You know, and it's a, and we were. At, we happen to be in a great location. Baton Rouge is a great location in the SEC for travel. So we could get to every team in the SEC except the University of South Carolina uh, in one hour or less. What a difference it makes, you know. So it, it's it's something that's really changed sport, too. Coach, I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. No, no, no that's fun. Imagine being at the airport and seeing Dominique Wilkins at the gate eating a hot dog at 6 a.m. As a kid, I would have gone crazy. I used to go nuts when I would see sportswear in a store, not realizing that that meant blazers and slacks. What a career Brendan Sir has had and continues to have. Even just to have a story like that about Dennis Rodman, the unexpected story, Coach is full of those. His first job was as an assistant coach under Dick Vitale at the University of Detroit before Dick Vitale became Dickie V. He was the head scout for Chuck Daly and the Dream Team in the 92 Olympics. That's the all-time cushy gig. He's so highly respected in basketball circles. Check out Coaching You, that's the letter U, coachingyoulive.com for his events, playbooks, podcasts, and videos. And follow him on Twitter at Brendan Sir, B-R-E-N-D-A-N. S-U-H-R. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V, and Instagram at Wawa Run. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? Click the five-star rating on iTunes, and have you written a 30-word review? If not, please do. If so, share with everyone you know. Thanks for taking the time to join us on The Follow-Up. The Follow-Up is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-Now.com.